Okay, that's all the announcement I have for you. Um, it's been a while since I've been here. I get it. I know some of you are thinking that now. Um, so let me just get off this stage. Let me welcome Jack Hoskins up here. Some of you know the Hoskins family, and uh, we are so proud to have them amongst us. I would say the Hoskinses are probably one of the families that I've known the longest since I have been in um, Kentucky for the last 20 years, and I'm looking forward to what God has to say to us. All right. Good morning, guys. Good to be here. Um, maybe you've noticed that anytime someone comes up on stage and speaks, a little graphic with their name pops up right there, right? It's me, Jack Hoskins. Uh, the first time I ever spoke here at Vineyard, I introduced myself as the husband of Angie Hoskins, right? Because, like, <laughs> everybody knows Angie. Between the two of us, like, she's by far more outgoing, more, uh, I don't know, she's more social, I guess, than I will ever be. So, it, you know, if I get up here and just, hey, I'm Jack, and who? Who's this guy? No, but um, <laughs> yeah, like I said, I, I said I'm her husband. Well, if you were here last month, you saw a 16-year-old young man get up here and give a message, and uh, just happy to let you know that was my son. So now I have a new way of introducing myself. <laughs> yeah, there it is. There it is. Brady Hoskins' dad. <laughs> but no, we're, we're incredibly proud of him. Uh, thank you all for uh, just, you know, congratulating him and encouraging him. It means, means the world to us. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, again, my name's Jack. If you, it's been a minute since I've been up here, so if you don't know who I am or know what I do, um, I, I'm a Lexington police officer. I've been there almost 20 years now. I've been in the K-9 unit for about the last eight or nine years. Um, I, I have one of the greatest jobs on the planet. I get to play with dogs all day, right? And maybe you your idea of playing and mine are a little different when it comes for the dogs, but uh, I promise you we're all having fun, we're all having a good time. Um, our, our, uh, our canine cars, right? So like every police car has lights, sirens, radio, computer, all these different things, but in the canine car it's set up a little different. I don't have a back seat, that's where my dog is, I've got a kennel, right? And in that is a system that kind of helps me keep, um, keep track of his temperature and stuff. There's little gauges and if I'm away from the car, should it start getting too hot, the, the vehicle fail, the, the AC fail, whatever, um, a big alarm will goes off and the, the back windows roll down so he doesn't overheat and, and potentially die. Well, there's also some other systems that I've, uh, this, there's a little actuator in the door that should I need him, I got a little button on my belt, I can pop it and, and the door swings open and he can come running to me, right, if I, if I need him for that sort of thing. Well, when I first came into the unit, um, like, my sergeant wanted me to go and learn these systems. Because these systems, when we first get them, they're all installed by, we call it the technical services unit at work, but they're all installed by those guys. When a brand new car comes in, they put it all together. Again, my sergeant wanted somebody to kind of understand these systems, should we need a troubleshoot or something like that. So I volunteered, I love to do this sort of thing, I love to learn new things. But cool, sign me up. So we did. About a week later, I went up there to, to learn from these guys, right? And so I walked in, it's early in the morning, I'm excited, I'm ready to go, and they're all still sitting there having their, um, their morning coffee. So, okay, uh, hey guys, you know, introduce myself, and they're like, uh, what, what, uh, what experience do you got with 12-volt electronics? Well, to be real honest, with cars, not a whole lot. And before I could get another word out, immediately the guy rolls his eyes and it's like, oh, well, he keeps sending me these guys that don't know anything about what they're doing. Okay, glad I came. This is going to go real well for me. Um, yeah, so I, I was like, hey, you know, it, listen, I've got a little bit of experience with some electricity. I, I can do some residential stuff. I, I know how to do outlets and switches and run lines and all that stuff. And, like, I didn't convince him. He didn't care. 
So I'm just sitting there, and I'm, I'm getting anxious. It's been about 10 or 15 minutes. These guys are still enjoying breakfast. So I was like, uh, guys, is there, there anything I can do to maybe help things get going, like get set up, get maybe prepared for when we start putting this car together? They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, your, your box, all your canine stuff, it's, it's right over there. You can go ahead and get started. I, 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 don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I'm here to learn from you, right? Like, can you, can you show me how to do this thing? But they're like, hey, no, it's right there. It's like, okay, you know what? Cool. I can do this. I can figure this out. If something breaks at home, if, some, if something needs fixed, I'll give it a shot. Because, look, I'm going to hire somebody anyway. So if I screw it up, you know, whatever, then they'll, they'll come and fix it. Um, so I go give it a shot. I walk over and I pull out all the parts from the box and get the instructions. And the first instruction says, okay, mount this module underneath the dash, like underneath the steering wheel. Crawl up under it. I'm looking and I don't see any obvious place to put this thing. And uh, I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't know. So I look, and in the instructions is pictures of where it's supposed to, how it's supposed to look when it's installed and where things go. And uh, I get this picture, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, like, have you ever made a copy of a picture on a copy machine, but you turn the darkness way too dark? It's that, but about seven times over. I, 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 there's zero detail in this picture, and I'm just, I don't know. So about this time, all these technician guys come over, and they're starting to, to work on other components like the radio and all this stuff. I'm like, guys, I can't figure out where to put this module right here. And they're like, read the instructions, figure it out. I, I'm trying to read the instructions. Here's what the instructions, you can't read this. And he's like, I don't know what to tell you, buddy. Figure it out. Okay, cool. So at this point, I'm just like, I don't know where this thing goes. I'm just going to move on to step two because step one's like, ah, whatever. Step two says... I need you to splice into this wire in a wiring harness. And, I need, and it needs to be the, um, the blue wire with the gray stripe. Okay, cool. Well, I know where wiring har harness is. It runs along the driver's side of the, and the floorboard there. I pop it open. Here's, here's the harness. It's, it's a wad of wires about like this, right? And there's, I don't know, 30, 40 wires running all the way through the back. So I'm, I'm going through and I'm separating them and I'm like, okay, there's, ah, there's, there's a blue one with a thin gray stripe. But, Wait, there's a, there's a dark blue one with a kind of a dull white. There's a, there's a light blue one with a dark gray stripe, and there's a gray one with a blue stripe. I, which wire, right? Like, well, I, I'm, I'm lost at this point. I'm like, and I don't want to cut the wrong one because then I'm just creating work for everybody else. I, I, like, this is not what I signed up for, right? So going into this project, I was excited. I was, I was cool. I'm going to learn something new. I got some knowledge that I can probably apply to this. I'm going to be able to help the unit out. But instead of success, I was finding failure. And I was, I was frustrated. I was getting angry. And, I mean, to be honest, I, I ended up leaving and going home. I was so mad because these guys weren't helping me. And it's one of the only times in my life I've ever quit something. I needed a teacher. I needed someone to show me how to do this, right? Have you ever been there? Like, you want to get something done. You want, to, you want to give effort. You want to apply yourself, but you just don't know how. Well, today we're going to look at a story from Luke chapter 23. And I'm going to try to relate this story a little bit. But it's, uh, it's some of the crucifixion story. And we're not going to read it all. Uh, we'll kind of bounce around here at the beginning. But um, as always, it'll show up on the screen here if you don't have your Bible or devices with you. We'll start out in verse 13. It says, then Pilate called the leading priests and other religious leaders along with the people, and he announced his verdict. You brought this man to me, Jesus, accusing him of leading in revolt. I've examined him, and thoroughly on this point in your presence, and find him innocent. 
Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for death for the death penalty. So I'll have him flogged and then I'll release him. Then a mighty roar rose over the crowd and with voice they shouted, Kill him! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus and they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he demanded, Why? What crime has he committed? I found no reason to sentence him to death, so I'll have him flogged and then I'll release him. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate sentenced Jesus to die as they demanded. And as they had requested, he released Barabbas, the man in prison for insurrection and murder. But he turned Jesus over to them to do as they wish. And we'll skip on down to verse 32, and it says, Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the Skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. This is such a powerful statement there at the end, right? And it's been bouncing around in my head for a few days now, that Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You see, a lot of messages given from this stage is about the doing. It's about taking charge or stepping out of a comfort zone or stepping out of fear, but I don't think that's always the case. I mean, sure, there's a place for that, but sometimes I, I believe there are people ready to pick up a banner and run and charge with it. So it's not always about the stepping out of fear. It's just sometimes we don't always know what we're doing, or at least we don't think we know what we're doing. See, the beauty of being a Christian is the simplicity. I didn't say easy because it's certainly not, but it's simple. We're given two commandments by, uh, by Jesus in the first three books of the Bible. Or, sorry, first three books of New Testament of the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John didn't include it. John's a weirdo. I don't know. He, anybody refers to himself in the third person, they're, they're weird. So, but what, what, are the, um, what, what are these two commandments? And if you know them, you can recite them with me. It's fine. But love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, right? What's the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. I get it, right? These words are nice, but how does this apply in the real world? Well, fortunately for us, God not only sent his son to die for our sins and be a living sacrifice, but also to be a living representation, a, a living personification of ex the example of how to do the doing, right? So if, we're, if we call ourselves Christians or if we're going to follow Jesus, then we have to model ourselves after him. In 1 John, he says, to those that... <laughs> those who say they live in God shall live their lives as Jesus did. Paul says in Corinthians, follow my example as I follow the examples of Christ. And in Ephesians, Paul says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. So if we find ourselves not knowing what to do, just look for what Jesus did. Our focus today is going to be on that statement. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Take a look at it. Who's them? Who's they? Right? Is it, is it the mob that demanded Jesus' life? Is it Pilate? Is it the soldiers that nailed him to the cross? 
Is it the crowd who, once he's up there, they're mocking him and throwing things at him? Maybe it's one of his apostles, Judas, who actually turned him in to be arrested. Maybe it's one of his best friends, Peter, who denied even knowing him. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's you. Maybe we don't always know what we're doing. But the one thing we do know is that whomever it is that he's referring to when he says they and them, he asks God to forgive them. And that's going to be our first point today is forgive like Jesus forgives. Have you been to Lexington in the last month or two? Have you, I mean, like, all right, traffic, right? I hate it when it comes time to repay by 75. It slows down the world. It's like they block off 25 miles of road. They work in three-mile sections at a time. And it doesn't matter if it's like they're, they're working on the southbound. They're keeping the northbound closed, too, and it's one lane, and everybody's slow. And, look, if you work for ATS or any other company, like, I appreciate you. I know it's for safety. Thank you, but let me vent for a minute. <laughs> so... Let's say you're heading to Lexington, and you get up near Clay's Ferry, you're, you're heading on the northbound side, and there you see that sign, right? Left two lanes, close the head, better mer merge over. So you do, you're, you're like, whatever, I'm inconvenienced, but I'm going to get over. Everybody else is doing the same, everybody's getting over in the right lane, it's the accordion effect's happening, traffic's slowing down. You look in your mirrors, everybody else is following suit, you're getting up close to that where everybody's got to actually merge, and then all of a sudden, here comes this... Camry just blowing past you, doing about 85, 90 miles an hour in that left lane because they're trying to pass as many people as they can before they get up there and have to merge. Don't know why. There's no, they're not going anywhere. They're just getting ahead of a few other cars, but whatever, right? So you're like, what's wrong with this guy? What? Really? Are we going to do this today? And so you're frustrated. You're like, man, are you kidding me? But whatever, you're in your lane. You're going on about your business. You probably got your Jesus music playing. It's going to calm you down, right? So you get up th through there, and you finally get within eyesight. You're about 15 cars back to where this merged, and then you look and you see it, right? That same little car is still sitting there in that left lane, got his blinker on at the cones because nobody's letting him in. And the smallest sense of satisfaction comes over you because you're just like... Yeah, you're not getting in, buddy. And so uh, <laughs> you, you keep driving on up through there, right? And you get about 10 cars back, and he's still sitting there. And you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move about three feet off the bumper to the car in front of me so he doesn't get in. I'm not letting him in either. I mean, he needs to do his own thing. So you get up there, you're about five cars back, three cars back, one car back. Then all of a sudden, the guy thinks he can fit his 15-foot car in that three-foot section in front of you. Right, And you have to slam your brakes on so you're not going to hit him. And it's like, what is wrong with you? So now, there's nowhere to go. You're all driving about 20 miles an hour heading north. And you get to stare at the back of his car. And so you bless him. And you bless him. And you bless him. Because that's what Jesus says to do to your enemies is you bless them. Right? <laughs> Man. And this is how I know we, uh, we have problems with forgiveness. Right? Because the next day, you're going to Lexington. Same sign says you got to merge, and you do. Everyone else, they're merging as well. It's all nice. We're flowing. Here comes the Chevy pickup right past you, doing about 90 in the left lane. 
He's again trying to get up front and, and pass as many cars. Again, nowhere to go. Why are we doing this? But then you remember, all right? You remember that car from the day before. And you're not letting this guy get away with it. It is not happening, all right? So instead of the three feet between you and the car, you're now about six inches. You are right here. There, he is not getting in. This guy's going to pay not only for his own sins today, but for the, the car before him yesterday, right? Aren't we silly? But I mean, that, these are the things that we do, right? And, it, and it's even worse when it's, we've truly been offended or truly been hurt. Some of you, your families and your friends have really hurt you, and it's made relationships strained or even broken. And the reason it hurts so much is because you care about those relationships. There's no way, no way I'm ever forgiving them. It doesn't matter if they apologize. I'm not forgiving them. You see, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, he said, what? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Well, the NLT translation says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The NIV translation says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. See, the Bible considers sin a debt, and that's sin against God or sin against each other. But forgiveness of that debt is that nothing is owed. And Jesus paid that debt for everyone when he came to die for us, and freely he gave. So freely we must also forgive, just as he did, right? This means it doesn't cost anything. We've all experienced hurt at some point in our life, and we'll probably experience it again. But here's what I want you to do. If this is you, if there's someone in your life that you just cannot forgive, I want you to ask yourself, how are you going to feel when God forgives them? Because he's going to. What did our verse say? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. It doesn't say, Father, forgive them if they pay for the damages. It doesn't say, Father, forgive them if they go to jail and get exactly what they deserve. It doesn't say, Father, forgive them if they get to go through exactly what I did so they can feel exactly the way I do. It doesn't say, Father, forgive them if they apologize. In, in fact, no one in our story did. Sure, one thief has to be remembered. But Jesus said, forgive them anyway. It's my belief that he meant every single person there. Don't carry bitterness. Don't carry that weight. Let it go, right? When you don't know what to do, you forgive like Jesus forgives. The second point I want to share with you is this, to love like Jesus loves. We touched on it earlier uh, with the two commandments that Jesus has given, and I want to look at a story in Luke chapter 10. We'll start in verse uh, 25 here. It says, one day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him a question. Teacher, what should, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. All right, Jesus told him, do this and you'll live. But the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. 
But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed on the other side of the road and passed by him. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. He also passed on the other side. And then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man, and if the bill runs higher, I'll pay you next time when, I, when I'm here. Now, which of these three do you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. Well, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. So you've heard it said here from stage a hundred times that love is a verb, right? And in Jesus' story, he says, now go and do the same right? Show mercy, show love, show compassion. Listen to this definition of mercy. It says, compassion or forgiveness shown to someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. And the second definition says, an event to be grateful for, especially because its occurrence prevents something unpleasant or provides relief from suffering. Folks, this is the doing. Have you encountered someone in your life that you could have shown compassion to? that you could have made feel a little bit better? Let's take this simple example. When's the last time you saw someone standing on a street corner asking for money, right? Now, as I said earlier, I'm a police officer. If I allow myself, I can, I can hold some pretty jaded or cynical feelings to people asking for money because of my experiences and seeing what some of them do with it. Now, I'm not saying everybody, right? There are people who need help and are looking for a handout and that really truly needs it, right? But a few weeks ago, I stopped at a gas station and I went in and grabbed something to drink and on my way out, this guy runs up to me and he's, he's like, hey, can I have 30 cents? And immediately, what do I do? I judge him, right? It is my belief that he was probably homeless. Judging by his facial features and stuff, I believe he has a strong addiction. And on top of that, I just rarely ever carry cash. So immediately I just, man, I, I just dismiss him. I, I don't have anything, I don't have any cash, just, you know, sorry. I jump in my truck and I drive off. I get about two miles down the road, and it strikes me that how odd it was that he asked me for 30 cents. Because typically I hear, hey, do you have a dollar? Or, hey, you got any spare change? Just anything like that. Um, but this guy, he specifically asked for 30 cents. I'm like, okay, maybe he just... I'm guessing he had just an, almost enough money to pay for what he wanted. He was just a little bit short. Like, he didn't ask me for $20. He didn't ask me for $50. He, 30 cents, right? So I took a, picked up my, my bottle, took a drink, and that's just how I was about to set it down. And the bottle of my cup holder was three dimes. And, man, that hit me heavy. I'm like, I don't know. I, I do believe in coincidences, but also believe that God will place you in specific places and times to show his love for others. Like, I could have just as easy to say, hey, sorry, I don't have any cash on me. Let's run in here, and I can just pick up what you got. I'll pay for it with my card. But I didn't. So what opportunities did I miss by being selfish? What opportunities did I miss for a conversation? What opportunities did I miss for an invitation that could have possibly changed this person's direction? I'm not saying we all need to stop and give money to everybody out there asking for it, but 
I am saying there's going to be situations that God puts you in. The Holy Spirit's nudging you to take action, right? To show mercy. Are you going to dismiss it? Are you going to avoid it? Are you going to be available to it? So going forward, I'm starting to carry a little cash with me now. And, and to be real honest, I'm, I'm starting to leave earlier. I'm not trying to walk out the, the door to my, wherever I'm going the last second. That way I can't use the excuse of, well, I'm just, I, I don't have time. I'm too busy, right? So it's easy to love family or to, to love friends and show love to them, but it's, it's harder when it's someone you don't know. My wife has this T-shirt that she wears, and it says, you're only, pretty as you tre- you're only as pretty as you treat people. Man, she's gorgeous. I've never seen anybody love people the way she does. Her heart, it's, it's amazing. We'll be watching a movie, and there'll be something bad or stressful happening to one of the main characters, and she'll be sitting there praying for him. I'm like, you do know this is a movie, right? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter if it's like the third or fourth time we've watched it, and she knows what's going to happen. She's still sitting there praying for him. I don't know. I mean, it's funny, but at the same time, I long for that heart. I wish that I could be like that. That's amazing to me. How you show God's love to others is going to be different in every circumstance. Not everything is going to require a physical, tangible resource that you have. Sometimes it's just giving a little time. Sometimes it's, you know, a smile at someone, giving encouragement. Jesus took time to heal. He took time to have conversations. He took time to raise up the poor in spirit. It's never a mistake to care for somebody. You're not going to get to heaven and God be like, why did you care for that person, right? So when you find yourself in those situations and that's requiring that choice, you don't know what to do, love like Jesus loves. And the last point I'm going to close with is is this, it's community. Now I know this is going to make no grammatical sense whatsoever, so I apologize, but I've got a theme I'm trying to keep with here, so forgive me all the teachers in the room, but... Community like Jesus' communities. Listen, if love is a verb, then so is community. If you've been attending our church for more than three or four weeks, then you're a part of this community. Another way to put it is family. Some of you may have cringed just a little bit when I said that because you've not had the best experiences with family. When I picture that stable, um, healthy family, for whatever reason, my mind goes back to like a 60s or 70s sitcom, right? Like Andy Griffith, the Brady Bunch, even Happy Days, right? But why? For, for me, they were all sitting at the table together having a meal. They would talk about their day. They would talk about work or school. And there was actually like a lesson learned or there was some kind of wisdom shared at the table. There's always enough seats for everyone at the table to sit together as well. This is a picture of my table. It's nothing special. We got it from Ashley Furniture. The top of the wood's fake. We got it on sale. There's eight chairs. There are three of us. If you ever come to my house for dinner, this is where we sit. If there's two of you, we have room. If there's seven of you, we'll make room. Because we're all going to sit together. We're all going to want to learn about you because we all have value, whether you're four years old or 84 years old. We all have value. We want to know about your life. We want to know about what God's doing in your life. We want to know about your dreams. Just a couple weeks ago, we had a couple over, 
And uh, at the end of it, I told him, I was like, listen, if we don't invite you back, I promise it's not because we don't like you. We're just terrible friends. So we're not the best at it, right? But we're trying. We're, we're trying to invite people to our table to show God's love, to learn about you, to be in community with each other. And if you'll allow the metaphor, this here is our table. This is where we come to eat. There's a chair for you. The invitation is here. Come, sit in a chair. I promise we'll make room for you if we run out of chairs. We'll buy more. We'll expand walls if we run out of chairs. You should feel like family when you come to this table. And with two services, it's a big table. And that's the problem with big tables, is that sometimes when you're on one end of the table, you can't hear the people sitting down on the other end, and they can't hear you. That's what small groups are for. This is why you join a small group and get to know other people. You may not be able to hear everything being said at the other end of the table, but those people sitting in proximity to you, they get to hear you, and you get to hear them. Small groups is where relationships are born. It's where relationships are built and grown and sown. Jesus had his small group of 12. They, did, they ate together, they traveled together, did ministry together. All throughout the Gospels, we hear about Jesus and his small group building relationships. He met people right where they were. He came alongside people in their best of times and in their worst of times. That's what family does. And that's what we want to do here. We want to show God's love not to just each other, but to those outside these doors. So if you feel like you're alone, and you're not part of this family, then the first step is to take a seat at the table. The invitation is here. The next step is to talk to people who are at your part of the table. And that's joining a small group. Or even on a smaller scale, asking someone to coffee. If you're asking another couple to dinner. If you're married, ask them to dinner, right? It's easy to do that. Hey, let's just go to dinner. I guarantee you there are other people in here that feel the same way, that same loneliness as you do because, again, we're a big church. This is a big table. And Father, forgive us, but sometimes we forget what we're doing. And then finally, serve with your family. You'll make connections with people when you serve. And you may be thinking, well, I don't know what my calling is. I don't know where to serve. That's fine. Serve somewhere until you do. Right? You have value in the kingdom of God. You have value with people sitting around you, and you just don't know it yet. You just got to get to know people. You're not meant to do church alone. And as we transition into ministry time here, I want to ask you guys to stand to your feet. I know this message has been full of stories and parable type things, but, you know, Jesus spoke in parables all the time. It was the easiest way for him to get his point across. And just about every time I get up here, I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm just trying to be more like him. But as we close in this time of ministry, you know, I was thinking about this message, and there could have been 20 different ways to go with this. You could have done an entire series on the different things that we don't know what we're doing, and we look to the example of Jesus, right? But of that entire page of 
things that I had, these were the three that really stood out to me. So that's what we're going to focus on today. So I'm going to invite various people to come pray. And at any point, whether I'm calling it out or not, please come. What I believe is when you feel the Holy Spirit, if you come forward, that physical, tangible walking, it, it releases something in your heart. It, it softens it just a little bit to allow Jesus to come in and do a work in you. So the first thing I want to bring, if you are having trouble forgiving someone in your life, if there's someone in there that you're just like, man, I'm just holding on to this grudge and I just can't let it go, then please come forward. The second one is if you're having trouble loving like Jesus loves. I do. I am not there every day. I wish I was. Right? I need Jesus to soften my heart on a daily basis. I need to be intentional about showing God's love to others because I am not every day. So if that's you, if you want help and loving like Jesus loves, then please come forward. And then the last one, do you feel alone? Is it a room full of people that love each other, that love God? They want to love you. You don't need to do church alone. So if that's you, please step forward. What's going to happen is I'm going to pray and then some of the prayer team is going to come around you guys and they're just going to enter in a time of ministry with you as they play this last song. So if at any point during this song you feel like you need prayer for anything at all, just please, again, come forward. Let's go to God. Father, I love you. I love you. I thank you. I thank you for this church and this community and what it means. God, I ask that you break hearts because our heart is, is ugly. Our heart without you is, is broken. We need you to come fill it up. We need you to come fill us with your love so that we can then carry that as a vessel and, and show it to others. Father, ask nothing but grace today. For we don't know what we're doing. We're trying. And I thank you for your example. I thank you for the Bible. I thank you for people in my life that I can look to and, and say, man, they're doing it right. Let me go ask them. Father, speak to us today in any way you please. Just make us more like you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name.